Welcome back to another episode of Fight in Progress, a podcast conversation about our men and women in law enforcement and the challenges they face. With lead stress coach and founder of Under the Shield Foundation, Susan Simmons, and Arizona police officer, Ace Walker. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to the Fight in Progress podcast, where we talk about stuff and things that has to do with law enforcement. Um, what the Look at you blowing it already. Well, you were on your last episode. I had to have fun with it. We got firefighters that listen to. We have. Okay, but. Don't, don't, let's not exclude the hose drivers. Guys. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I love you guys. We have military in here and paramedics. But it's it's and no fun if we don't make fun of them. Well, that's Cause, true. Because I'm on one end, I'm sure they make fun of me. <laughs> you know they do. Yeah, well, right. they, they know they do. There's plenty of reasons to. And we're going to have some in here so that they can make fun of you. Right. So today, and today's kind of special because today is, it, well, it's, it's not that special because I've gone off the air before. So we're seeing a pattern, but at, at he least. can't make up his mind. No, I'm as fickle as the day is long, but um, I am going to be dropping off the air from the show, um, at least indefinitely. We, I, you never know what the future oh, holds. That mouth, are you kidding me? I know. He will re- He's like a bad rash. <laughs> if you let he me in the room, I'm, I'm gonna talk into a mic. It's just the way it is. I always have something to say. But yes. uh, I got I got a couple of uh, prospective law enforcement careers that I'm looking at. Yes. Um, a couple of job offers, so I'm really excited. We knew you weren't gonna say that. <laughs> you thought you were. Uh, well, I, I knew a, that wasn't gonna happen. I was in a bit of a bad mood from the whole Salt River deal. Yeah. So it. I'm looking at a couple of things, and I just want to simplify everything for a while, so I'll be off the air. I'll, I'm sure I'll still pop on. I know what's going to happen. He's going to listen, and he's going to come up with everything we're doing wrong, Sure. and he's going to walk through the door on a Tuesday morning and go, I'm back because I need to fix this. Because you, you guys need, need help. You need me. That's it. Yeah, no, I like to feel needed. So, yeah, that, that is, that is going to happen, but I love being on the show. I love the show. I love what we talked about. I love the things that we shared with people. I like the idea... That for me, the purpose of the show was normalizing what we talk about, which is the issues that pretty much everybody goes through, but really a little bit more tailored for first responders, right? Because we're just a, it's a little bit different world that we live in, sure. and things are amplified a little bit differently. Um, so I love it. I'm not leaving for any bad reasons. Got no bad blood, as far as I know. I mean, she hasn't hit me lately, but. <laughs> Um, I throw him out periodically. <laughs> he always reappears. She does have the red man stick. Yeah, it is <laughs> never out of reach. Um, so it, it's been a really good time. But this is going to be my last episode for a while. Uh, and we'll, we'll see what the future holds. Sure. But I'll hang out for this one. It's funny. We're having shirts made or so my people tell me. I have mm. people. You, I, so I've I heard now. I have people. I know. And my people tell me we're having t-shirts made that say I'm afraid of three things. God, my wife. And Susan's and Susan. Oh yeah, I like it. Yeah, that's that's accurate and true. <laughs> and I think the subtitle under it is going to be something like "And you are none of these." Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so things are going to start getting interesting around under the shield now. Now that I have people. Okay, I'll just make sure to listen then. I won't draw by. <laughs> and so so what are we talking about today? What's this well, last episode? Before be we like? get to that, Tom, we have a new co-host coming in that you're kind of handing right. the baton off. This is true. And this is uh, TomTheBomb.com is going to be his name. I will not be referring to him as that throughout the entire podcast. It will just be Tom. Or Mr. Tom. No, he won't be Mr. Tom. Tom. He doesn't even get a Mr. No, no. We only do that in the South when people are older than you and you respect them. I still call Steve Mr. Steve and he still hates it. 
Yeah, I would too. <laughs> yeah, I, but we did have fun oh, calling yeah. him that oh, on yeah. the podcast. Well, because he hated it. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah. But no, I, unfortunately here I am the older of the two. So you're Mr. Susan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to put two together. God, you are the two beaten today before you leave. You know, that would be a good sound effect on the podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> would that come through? Give me, give me a good whack on the language. <laughs> but anyway, so we are... We're exchanging the baton today. You're passing it off. Welcome, Tom. So to speak. Thank you. I'm looking forward to being on the podcast yeah. on a regular basis. Yes. If I don't run him off, too. I mean, we don't have a real good track record running here. Yeah. Good luck. God bless, Tom. <laughs> it, it's <laughs> early, right? That's <laughs> the honeymoon phase. <laughs> but uh, yesterday, Tom and I had the honor of going down to the garden spot of Yuma, Arizona, which... Ooh. For those who don't know, is literally on the border of Mexico. Yeah. I mean, you could just about throw a stone from where we were and just hit the wall. And uh, we were down there with Border Patrol, and we had some from San Diego and some from El Centro, and we also had Yuma County uh, deputy sheriffs, and we had there was another group there. Really? I thought it was just a Border Patrol deal. You got all kinds of people down there. Yeah, they opened it up for right. all the agencies around. Oh, right on. Yeah, Yuma City didn't send anybody. That makes me want to question what's going on at Yuma City Police Department, <laughs> but we'll get into that. Yeah, don't sure. look into that. At some point. That <laughs> hurt my feelings. <laughs> right there in your backyard doesn't cost you a dime and you people won't show up for training. I mean, they're, really? Maybe they're really short-staffed. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, we'll give them that one. Okay. Sure. But somebody else was there, another agency was there, but I don't remember now who it was. We had about 70 oh, wow. in, in, yeah. in a room that would not have held any more. And I have to tell you. Let's just say it was sold out then. Yeah, it was sold out. Pretty much. Sold out. Yes. Yeah, pretty much. And it was hot in that room. And it was funny when we would take breaks and everybody's out, the room would get really cold. And then they'd come back in, and the temperature would rise about 50 degrees. Oh my and I'm up there sweating, and my hair's wet. And a bunch of mouth breathers. Absolutely. And uh, we, we had uh, my good friend and co-trainer from Phoenix PD, retired, I'm happy to say now, retired Phoenix oh. police officer, Mark Valenzuela, who told his story. And did an excellent job. He did. He always does, yeah. Oh, you were there. I was. Yes, Tom was actually. Yes. Tom and his wife actually came to the training. Really? Yeah. Is this an open invite? It was. Uh, oh. I, you were told, don't even go there. <laughs> don't even go there. You were invited. Oh. It was open to everybody up here. We donated this training to Border Patrol and those agencies because of all the stuff happening down there. And I felt like that was the least we could do at Under the Shield. And I was just so thankful that people showed up because, you know, you get to those things and you kind of like, wonder what happens if you come all this way and yep. nobody shows. You never know. I've been to those trainings. You get a lot of one-on-one -on -one time. <laughs> yeah, Tom is going to get a lot of one. Tom and his wife are going to get a lot of one-on-one -on -one Yeah, y'all go ahead and sit right there. I'm going to tell you something. It'd be like sitting on the couch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I think he was a little concerned that that's really what this setup was. Oh, man. But it was fun. We had a good time. Got a lot of great, great feedback about the class. And as a matter of fact, now Border Patrol San Diego is trying to get us over there for that, which, uh, and we're scheduled. Um, Tom and I will actually be going to El Centro mm. end of August. Right. 
for two days to do a quarterly training for them. Right on. And we're working on Tucson Border Patrol. So hopefully that will open up. And oh, things pick right up. Yes. Very good. So we get a lot of good feedback, but <clears throat> our guest today is a very dear friend who actually is in Alabama. She's living next door to my son. Oh. So she's good people. <laughs> she and her <laughs> husband, Chris. Her name is, I'm going to mess it up, Kirsten Leahy Walsh. Did That's I get it close right? enough. Close That's enough. close enough. Oh, wow. It's the southern accent part of it uh-huh. <laughs> that messes it up. Now, she's not from Alabama because no. I don't hear that accent that I hear from no, you. She, no, she ain't from Alabama. <laughs> she ain't you? from them parts. Where are you from? <laughs> I'm actually from San Diego. Yes. Oh, you're oh. from my neck of the woods. So, so I moved here. She moved there. Yeah. We kind of probably crossed paths at some point. That's a good trade for the they South. Can only, well, they can only have one of us on each side of the Mississippi. If we're on the same side, it's just too much. It'll That's break. It. Yeah. <laughs> It'll break. It will be all kind of just And that, you know, that is interesting, Kirsten, because every time I come now, there are tornadoes. There are severe storms. Plane you know, delays. There, yeah, there might be some truth to that. We'll find out when I come back in a few weeks. Oh, jeez. We'll see if the same stuff happens in September. You're doomed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think Kirsten missed your comment there, Ace. <laughs> oh. But it is recorded. Oh, good. He said it was a good trade for the South. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a win. Yeah, I have, I have a feeling today is going to be abused Susan Day by Ace. Oh, it's, it's my way out. Yeah, I get to say everything I want to say and then run as fast as possible, and I don't have to see her again for, like, a month. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. Something tells me you're yeah. probably going to be back on the couch yeah. sooner than later. You're probably right. And that will be in a whole different capacity. I'm perfectly healthy, Susan. Yeah. <laughs> We've talked about this. Yeah, delusional again. See, this is what happens when you don't sit on my couch on a regular basis. You become delusional like Ace. I'm perfectly healthy. I'll keep I, that in mind. Yeah. I, well, I start to question, is it that I'm actually not having issues or do I forget my issues because I don't have anybody telling me what's wrong with me? <laughs> That could be. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to tell. I, well, we probably need to bring the wife in here to, to oh, no. actually validate any of this bull coming out of your mouth. <laughs> Doing so well faking it. Yeah. So, Kirsten, tell us a little bit about you. So, I am a military veteran, and I'm also uh, in the PhD program at the School of Social Work at the University of Alabama. And my focus for my research primarily focuses on military and veterans. However, we started to expand that research to include first responders in that as well. And I'm happy to say that Kirsten has to be nice to me on this podcast and anytime she sees me, because I'm actually on her committee for her dissertation in her PhD <laughs> program. Oh, God help you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually really, I'm really excited about it. My dissertation focus is what happens after somebody is involved in a high stress or combat type of kill. Because we talk, you know, we train for it in the military. We train kill, kill, kill mentality. You know, save yourself, protect everyone around you. But what happens after that kill takes place? And that's one thing that I think really is important for both the military community as well as the first responder community what happens when you actually participate in the act of killing somebody, even if it's under direct orders, how, how does your body react to that? How does your brain react to that? What happens to your mental health? We, you know, we see Vietnam veterans that are so just 
they don't want to talk about what they went through. And a lot of it has to deal with shame and grief. And we see that echoed, you know, in the Iraq and Afghanistan campaigns and in the first responder space, we see that as well. And so I, you know, my goal is to kind of really dig in and get into the meat of what happens to somebody after they kill somebody in the line of duty. And I think Susan, you know, especially, you know, with Chris's story and a lot of other stories that she has shared with me, she has a lot of that insight uh, to kind of what, what people go through and the things that have helped them in the past open up more. And so I think she'll be a really valuable asset to my committee. So anybody listening, um, specifically either they have to be law enforcement or military or both. It can be either one, correct, Kirsten? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. If you have been in a situation where you have had to kill someone in a line of duty, and especially up close and personal, not so much snipers, or would a sniper kill from a distance? Be part of that discussion? So the criteria will be more along the lines of if you could see the impact of your kill, whatever that looks like, right. whether it was pushing a button and seeing the impact of it or pulling the trigger or whatever the case is, to see the impact of the decision that was made to the line of duty, that, that's the criteria. Versus pilots dropping bombs, that kind of stuff, that really probably, even though they see the explosion on their little things... Um, so like Mark Valenzuela right. would be a perfect candidate for this but if you were one of those people and you're listening and this is something that you would be willing to participate I assume anonymously is that correct Kirsten yes yeah so since we do everything through the university we have to get IRB approval which is an ethical panel that reviews the dissertation to make sure that we don't bring harm to anybody else as researchers so we have to go through that. So right now I'm kind of well before that stage. Uh, I'm really going to be looking at interviewing people in probably the spring of 2022. So I'm kind of in the planning stages right now. Um, but we're still kind of, you know, talking to people, trying to gain some interest in it, garner interest and, you know, direct them that in the spring, that's really when we'll be looking forward to hearing their stories. Yeah, you can reach out to us. Um, again, at the end of the podcast, we'll give all contact information and stuff. But if this is something that you'd be willing to participate in, and Tom, you probably know some people also I do. that you can think of that would be willing to. Ace, he's too, he's too much of a baby in all this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but by the spring of next year, I don't know, he may have his own story. Who knows? Who knows? Um, but please reach out to us. About how many are you looking to try to interview, or is this as many as possible? Right now, I'm kind of throwing the net wide, so saying as many as possible. Okay. Yeah, so reach out to us, let us know, and uh, we'll talk about this several times if Tom will help me remember to talk about because I remember I'm the old woman in the group here. Uh, but this might be a good a good audience to draw some of those people from, right. again, whether military or law enforcement. I can't think of a situation where fire would be under that because they don't have any... Their goal is more to save lives. Right. So there wouldn't be a time that even if their lives were being threatened, though, would there? I mean, they, they could experience loss of life, you know, by not being able to get in a building or not being able to save somebody or whatever. But I don't think they would have ever had to take one. Right. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, who knows? If you get one of those, that'd be fascinating, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, like I said, we'll talk about it a, a few times around. And uh, Kirsten's husband uh, is actually my son's best friend, two Marines. This is really not a good idea. <laughs> it just isn't. 
and uh, they're both into motorcycles now. And uh, but I do have to brag that Kirsten's husband Chris has a DeLorean, and I got to ride in it. Oh jeez! And he even offered to let me drive it. Did you open the little window? The little window? Did I in see the, the, the little, little? Yep. The little, the little tiny, tiny windows. Window. I don't know that I. I think it was raining that day, wasn't it? <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. So just a but, little bit. But it, it the doors were quite interesting, and then trying to figure out how to get the hell out of it yeah. was even more fun. It's, it's like the Cybertruck predecessor. <laughs> you, They're you awesome. Would, you would come up. With this. <laughs> Thanks, great. This is a super fascinating field of study. This it reminds me a lot of the conversation we had with Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. Yes. Because that's that's kind of his whole field, right? I don't I don't want to muddy the waters. It oh. is similar, right? It's oh, the same. absolutely. Yeah, so it, that's super fascinating. I'm sure whenever you start putting things together and you have research or when you're done, I'm sure we'd love to go over what you're, whatever you're allowed to go over. Well, like I said, I um, have to approve it. Yeah. So that's, I, that's I have true. Kirsten's life in my hands. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the power, right? <laughs> Loving it. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Susan's got you. <laughs> well, and what's funny is when I got the letter saying that I was now, what did they call me? Not adjunct. It's like you're uh, an external member of the committee and you had to be approved by the university to do that. So they kind of had to list you as uh, what looked like a graduate faculty member. Yeah, I'm almost part, an you know, assistant professor at the, at the <laughs> University of Alabama roll time. Oh, dear. Good thing you're not at Auburn because I don't think I could have done that. You don't, you don't need any more. You, you have too many backgrounds and titles already. It's going to take you an hour to get through everything you've done. I want my business card to actually be three to get all the initials. It's going to be a business book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Honorary alumni. That's it. Honorary faculty. <laughs> I didn't graduate uh, that's from true, there. That's true. That's true. I'm honorary. Talk faculty. about qualified, though. I mean, that's really cool that they put you on the board because that's it, usually it, it's a PhD position. But it's a field of study that, like, you are particularly involved in. Yes. That I don't. And I mean, this is what I love. I love doing this stuff, having these conversations. I don't. Not, I'm not saying there isn't anybody else out there. I haven't heard of anyone right. that's in the same position as you or does the same kind of thing as you. So it's really cool that they are using you as an asset because, I mean, how valuable. That's awesome. Well, and it's, it, it, you know, under the shield, that is one of the things. We are unique in that officers can come in here and talk about the aftermath of a shooting and there's no fear or threat because it doesn't go anywhere. And this is why when Kirsten and I started talking and she told me what she wanted to do, I said, you know, this is the perfect, really, environment our stress coaches set up. For people to be able to come in and say, you know, yeah, I was in a shooting, the guy died, and I, it freaked me out, but yeah. I can't tell anybody about it. And this is part of what Mark was talking about yesterday. And, you know, really and truly, Kirsten, we need to get you at one of the trainings when I do this, because Mark telling his story and his wife, who is his second wife, um, he's a combat Marine, and so he comes from both places, and his second wife was a police officer for 10 years. And to hear the talk of the exchange between them after his shooting, where he was shot and he killed the guy, um, and he's joking with his wife when she picks him up, and her response isn't as an officer, but as a wife and mother, right. and she shuts him down. Right. Because he says, I can't talk to her now because she went through something also. Are you gonna bring spouse the impact on the family and spouses into your dissertation or am i making this thing too big for you oh that's that's a 
definitely going to be the next step. While I focus purely mainly on the individual, um, the next step for the research would definitely be to include something like that. And when I finish research, that doesn't mean that it's done. That just means I got it to a publishable place. I would love to continue on and, you know, continue writing and researching these areas because it is a really big field. Where it comes from for me is actually around my uncle, who is a Vietnam veteran. My Uncle Bruce, and he passed away in December of 2020 for issues related to Agent Orange, which were at the time not valued by the VA as they are now, which happened, in, I think, in April. <laughs> and so my uncle, he, when he was, he was drafted, he was actually drafted into the Navy, but while he was standing in the recruiting line, he made a smart comment, and a Marine happened to be walking by right at that moment and said, oh, you'd be perfect for us. Why don't you come over here and stand in the Marine Corps line instead? <laughs> so he Wonderful. became a Marine, and off he went to Vietnam. And when he came back, he didn't really tell people a lot of stories. He didn't really share his experiences. He really wasn't comfortable with it. And from the most of my mom's knowledge and my knowledge, he really did not have a lot of military connectivity after he left. And so what that led to is he continued to just hide all these stories. And after his passing, my mom and I were looking through some photo albums, and we actually started seeing on the back of the photos there were dates and names that were listed. And we were able to trace back some of his information to the battle and the siege of Khaesan, which was a very pivotal battle in Vietnam. Found out that he had actually been there and that most of his unit, he was transferred towards the beginning of the siege and most of his unit was killed. And a few of the stories that came out of that experience, he supposedly told my grandfather at one point that he didn't want to shoot anybody. He didn't want to kill anybody, but they were shooting at him. So what choice did he have? And that was the statement that really stuck with me of what choice did they have when you deal with, you know, in the line of duty kind of situations like that? What choice do you have aside from pulling the trigger or targeting somebody or running them off or killing them. And so that was really the nexus for my dissertation idea. And I started realizing, of course, after our conversation, Susan, that law enforcement deals with this very similarly to, to the military, where they train you, they give you such great training, they spend millions of dollars getting you where you need to be, and then all of a sudden you kill somebody where where is that therapy where is that support where is that guidance well and <clears throat> that's one of the things that mark talks about in his and that's where i think so much of the mental health they are focusing a lot of times when especially when they're dealing with law enforcement officers i haven't really talked to many with the um in, in the military but mark and I have talked about this when he, by the time he came to me, he had already been to a psychologist. He had been to a counselor who watched his 11 second video of Mark literally in the daytime. The guy pops out from a vehicle, shoots him and his sergeant. The sergeant catches it in the lower part of the vest. Mark catches one in the vest under his arm and then one in his arm. And Mark starts shooting, but there's an SUV between him and the bad guy and he's shooting through the SUV as he's transitioning around the back of it, and the guy runs up the stairs and he shoots and kills him. And they focused, the mental health people focused the ones that could. One of his counselors 
actually watched the 11 second video in her office she asked to watch it after he had asked for a therapist who specialized in military PTSD and law enforcement and he plugs the little video in shows her the 11 seconds and she literally starts crying and he goes ma'am it's gonna be okay let me just pop that evil video right on out of that computer <laughs> oh, <dear God. laughs> and he's thinking if she can't handle an 11 second video where there's no blood there's no guts or no body parts um, how in the world is she ever gonna be able to help him with anything he's got he had 18 years on the job at that point and the focus tended to be strictly on the shooter and the reality is, is I ask people that have been shootings all the time you ever come out of an academy thinking you're never gonna be involved in one right no. no they train and prepare you for that most officers never have to do it fortunately but if you're only going to focus on that part and they don't focus on the aftermath and that's where this is going to be so important because Mark really it wasn't about the shooting and he even makes the comment and Lieutenant Colonel Grossman said this to him one time you know hell it's only fair he shot you first you do get to shoot back <laughs> now new officers out there listening I've had them tell me that you do not have to wait for them to shoot at you first. I don't know who's teaching that in academies. But be aware of your but, department's policies and procedures. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> be aware of the things that are not policies and procedures because yeah. you didn't even violate a policy or procedure. This is also true. So it may not even be written. you got to know what's in their heads. Read the subtext. Absolutely. And make a lot well, of assumptions. <laughs> And Susan, you know, I think there's one thing, uh, my husband, Chris, he has one thing that you said really stuck out to me about Mark is that, you know, family members, they'll protect others from their stories. And I can see that with my uncle Bruce. One thing I have to say about Chris, you know, Chris was involved in multiple firefights. He was deployed to Iraq during the initial invasion in 2003 and 2004. And he's a Marine, for those that don't know. Yes, yeah, he was a Marine, and he was shot. He is a Purple Heart recipient. He was wounded in Al Anbar province right outside of Fallujah. And, but one of the big things that Chris has never really done with me is he's never hidden his story from me. He's shared it with me multiple times. There's been books that have been written that have included his unit or his deployments in there that he has shared with me. And he has done a lot for me to really not hide me from what it, what he experienced. And I think some of that was for his own mental health as well. Yes. But being involved in that, I've seen military families that where they don't share that type of information or they hide it from family members or they hide their experiences, their stories. And then you just kind of see it. I mean, you can almost see it like bubbling up inside of them where it's, it's causing them pain and they're struggling and they don't know how to deal with it. And what I want to start doing is moving towards normalizing them sharing their stories. We shouldn't be responding with tears and saying, oh my gosh, what a crazy situation. You know, we should just be sitting there being honest with them and saying, dude, that sucks. Like, how are you getting through this? What are you doing to take care of yourself? Like, that was a hard situation, regardless of good, bad, you know, whatever, sure. a shooting or a pulling out of the trigger that is you know that's just part of the job when it comes to that so how do we deal with the aftermath of it yeah i think for so many that aren't in a field that requires any level of violence 
they can live their entire life or with their family, even generationally, multi-generational experiences of no violence, right? I know people who have never been in a fist fight, never been in a physical confrontation of any kind, and they abhor any kind of violence, right? And it's understandable because when you've never experienced it and then you see it firsthand, it's traumatic and extreme and it's aggressive and violent, like it, you know? So it, we used to have a better understanding because it was more normal, right? We'd have to butcher our own animals or we'd have to, you know, you'd have a fist fight at school because you're just a kid, you know, and it's the 50s, right? It's just a thing that happened. Actually, that was done also in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. <laughs> I'll make a point. But yeah, right? So it was, it was a more normal part of life as to where now I really feel like it's generally not, right? Like I roughhouse with my kids a lot. I'm probably a lot rougher than most parents are, you know? Um, but it's, they don't experience that anywhere else. Like they've, they've asked me, they're like, why do you, why do we like play? Why do we play fight? Like all my friends don't want to do that. And it's like, well, and that's fine if they don't want to, but it's like, I think it's important that you understand, you know, how to be aggressive and how, when not to, and when to be aggressive. But I don't think people, I don't think people experience that the same way as they used to years ago. Well, we got zero tolerance. So it's like that, that doctor, right, right. That doctor that cried, I almost feel like she's it was it was too real like the guy who shot the other guy was sitting on the couch in front of her and it was just too much to encounter right see my attitude is he's here he's alive he's obviously in one piece we don't have a disability with him not a visual one and so why am i going to cry at that you know if i had to watch a video now of chris ferrara being killed right whether chris was my friend or not it would be sad and heartbreaking at watching the death of an officer. But I've got an officer in my office and he's showing me a video that Tom saw yesterday for the first time. You can't even see the guy pop out. Right. And then really Mark almost has to point out the guy ran up the stairs and he's lying on the stairs. So again, and you go, why are you crying? It just, it immediately makes me think of Grossman's writings, right? Where he talks about how people innately trained or not do not want to kill people right and when people encounter that like this doctor right and i don't i am not a doctor so i am probably totally wrong you with the phd (laughs) on the other side of the room probably know significantly more than i i'm probably talking on my ass but it it, it makes sense it, it, it makes sense that she just has an innate feeling that what happened was wrong right or or not right you know right. what I mean? So it's overwhelming. It's it's just super fascinating, which is why I'm super fascinated by your paper. I'd love to see it once it's published. I am completely well, and I interested. And they automatically assume that if he had to shoot and kill someone, he must be psychologically just scarred for life. Right, he's damaged now. Absolutely. And that was the interesting part, because I didn't meet Mark until, and we need to have him on the podcast, but I didn't meet Mark until a little over a year after it. And someone happened to say, come with me. I have someone I need you to yeah, talk to. For sure. And the reality was, is as soon as I met him, the first thing I said to him was, it wasn't a shooting part. It was the fact you couldn't save an innocent person who got killed before he got there. And that's why they were even called it. That's that powerlessness. That right. was the it with your problem solving. Right. You couldn't solve her problem. Yep. And that's, that's what it comes down to. And if we don't, get to a place where we look at that aspect of it you know get out of the box and that's what Kirsten's doing get out of the box and go well he must be having all these problems 
because he had to take a life. That's not necessarily the way it goes. Some of it, I think, with some that I have talked to, uh, some of the former Marine recons who struggled with some pretty tough times, and I think some of them were shocked at their own level of fear that is necessary to activate that ability to be able to kill someone. So this was going to be my next question for you, Kirsten, was it Kirsten or Kirsten? Kirsten. Kirsten. It's, she's gonna say yes anyway. She, look how nice she is. Right. She's, she doesn't care. She's gonna oh, answer. Yeah, you. Yeah. yeah. So my next question was gonna be: I'd be fascinated to find out if or how many officers felt like they wouldn't be capable of taking someone's life, or not even officers, first responders, military, whatever, whoever, if they felt like that was something that they were even capable of. Because I know a lot of people outside of that world, um, talking about people who don't encounter violence, right? Who would say, I can't even understand why somebody could do that or how and the, the fascinating thing I've learned over the last couple of years in the job talking with Susan reading books and studying a lot is we're all capable of horrible atrocities mm-hmm. right all of us and we just don't think we are I think it's a level of naivety that we have um, I'd wonder if that line kind of gets blurred when you get when you put yourself into a position like the military or um, law enforcement when you kind of just adopt that as like, oh, I have to be capable of this or something. That'd be really interesting to find out. And then the differences between those who signed up for the military and those who were drafted, those who were put in that position against their will. That's also a super interesting question. Absolutely, you know, and we see warfare is changing. Warfare is changing every day. Warfare just meaning combat in general. So we see that here on the streets. We see that, you know, in war campaigns that are officially war campaigns. But we're heading into what we call fifth fifth generational warfare, which is known as the war of information and perception, social media, online presence, stuff like that. We're getting away from, you know, direct combat, hand-to-hand combat. There are dissertations and papers out there that actually encapsulate full-on hand-to-hand combat and the impact of those kills on individuals. I'm looking at the more broader sense, just kind of like what you're talking about, Ace, that that inherent ability to to survive and you know you're talking about depravity and how humans can be capable of anything there's a fantastic book that was turned into a tv show on tnt and it was called the terror and it's based on a true story about a ship back in like i believe it was the 1800s and they ended up getting stranded up in the arctic and they resorted to cannibalism and atrocious things on each other simply because they needed to survive you know, survival of the fittest is not just a moniker. It, it came from somewhere, and it actually has a lot of value to it. Survival of the fittest, you have to be smart, willing, cunning, willing to do these atrocious things in order to survive. Right. And that's one of my really big interests is how do we tap into that and kind of like how you were saying, Ace, how do you turn it off when you need to and how do you turn it on? Exactly. Because well, it, we it, don't really have a comprehension of that. Right. It seems like something that we've turned away from because of the terrible things that can come from it. But I'm sure there's also an incredible level of like ingenuity and discovery there that we're just scared to tap into because of how gruesome and deadly it can be. I'm sure there's a balance there that we're afraid to tap into. But that I'm super excited for you and your paper. This sounds really interesting. Well, and what's going to be interesting, too, is because statistically it's shown that once a law enforcement officer has had a fatal encounter, more likely they are much more likely to have a second one and a third one. Yeah. 
And I actually do have... We had that statistic on our couch two weeks ago. Oh, yes, we did. Yeah, we did. Yes, we did. Three in a year. And we have a name for people like that. <laughs> <laughs> and it ends in Magnus. <laughs> and, and yeah, he had three fatal... Well, three encounters, two, two he did kill the person in one in 12 months Kirsten mm. yes and so he's gonna he is one that will be part of your study whether he knows it or likes it or not <laughs> <laughs> but the interesting part of it is it's like Mark was talking yesterday he after his he rushed to all hot calls and he couldn't figure out why and the officer Dave that was here that was in three in one year asked me the same thing a few months ago. He goes, why is it that when these hot calls go out, because he doesn't have to go to all, and he can, mm -hmm. but he would rush to all hot calls. And my thought on it is that nobody knows if they can actually do it till they do it. And the ones that have done it know they can. And subconsciously, their thoughts are, I've got to get there. Because the others may not be able to. Right. And there's one here who is a retired Scottsdale officer. I'm also going to put in touch with Kirsten. He had seven shootings, six kills. And it's funny, the first time I met him, he didn't know me. I wasn't living out here, but I was teaching out here. And some of his guys brought him to me, and they had told me what had happened. And he came walking up. The first thing I said to him is, what the hell's the matter with you? <laughs> and he backs up and looks Sounds at good. me like, here it comes. <laughs> And he thought I was going to criticize him. And I go, I just wonder why it wasn't seven for seven. And he said, well, that was the first one that I didn't kill. I said, well, in Alabama, we call that target practice. You obviously improved. <laughs> and we became very good friends. And I think he was one of those. He was doing the same thing. That's why he wound up in those positions. Because his last one, it was a man holding a child or a baby hostage. Mm -hmm. And oh, yeah, when the officer got there, he pulls out his rifle, and before he takes the shot, his thought was something to the effect of, this will end my career, because departments get really weird about stuff sure. like this, even though all are justified, all are good shoots. You're like, you train them to do it, they do it, and then what do we do? We yeah. stick them in a closet somewhere. And um, before he pulled the trigger, he said, this is going to end my career. Is this worth it? And he pulled the trigger, and he said the most amazing sound was the man dropped the child, obviously, to hear the baby cry. Because he knew right. he had it taken was, out right. the bad one, and the child is okay. And so I think he's going to be a real good one for you to talk to also. Now, do you think that these officers that have been in the fatal shootings, and they have that desire to go to all the hot calls now, do you think that subconsciously they're trying to protect another officer Absolutely. from engaging in that same incident Absolutely. i think that and i think it's also because it, it's a sense of purpose right like mm -hmm. uh, i know that there are certain things i'm trained for that other guys in my squads weren't trained for right and when i would hear a call come out where i was like oh i have what's necessary for this call i i dropped anything to get there as mm -hmm. soon as possible it, because i think these guys that go through it what was his name that was sitting on the couch with dave. us dave dave it, it certainly seemed to me, because he was very calm and collected. He was not, oh, yes. he was not Mr. Aggro, right? Mm -hmm. it's, he's not trying to kick down all the doors and shoot all the bad guys. Like it, you. It's, right. <laughs> it's just, I, I speak from experience. Well, you have to remember, uh, he's got a lot of years. And he was probably a, 
a six four version of you. You're a short version of Dave. Yeah. Dave we won't say how short. <laughs> we won't say how short on recording. Early on in his I, I want, <laughs> Well, we always ruin perception of people when you see them after you've heard them on a radio show. So I don't want you to know how short or unattractive I am. So Aces, Aces, um, Aces challenged in the height category. <laughs> yeah, my wife made a comment about you, Ace, the last time that I was on the show, yeah. where you gave a description of me as being stocky. Yeah, my wife is like, I don't look at you as stocky. You're just a big guy, <laughs> right? Yeah. She goes, you're not short. That, yeah. This is that millennial young. You know, they, they don't even use the right terms. Yeah, what do I know? But you're short. Okay, I, I am so, short. Anyway, back to Dave's story. Back. Five seven and three quarters. Yeah. <laughs> Every quarter inch matters. That's don't look at me like that. Is that why you wear those platform shoes to get to the five? Oh, see, now everybody's going to think I wear platform shoes. He does. Don't, don't believe it. Toe shoes. Look at these. Judge me all you want. Don't They're toe shoes. The word that comes out <laughs> anyway. Mouth. But yes, but Dave so, is not a... Right. He doesn't I, I think it, it really seemed, talking to him and listening to him for the little bit that we did let him talk, because it was me and his wife that were talking the yeah, most Yeah, so y'all really were having fun. But it certainly seemed like he felt like it... It was like his job. Like, mm -hmm. there's a hot call. I've done this. I know that I can do it. I know that I have what it takes. And statistically, looking at it from a third-person view, he's the guy you want there anyway. Sure. Because right. he's handled it before sure. three times. And statistically, that is that those are good odds. Sure. So it it makes sense because you kind of break a barrier, which is exactly what you're studying, Kirsten, is that barrier that we break and what we experience after we crash through it. He's done that. Those people have done that. And sure. now they live kind of in a different place cognitively. At least it seems like that. But here's Absolutely. my question well, mm -hmm. to you on your research also. Like Mark is a combat Marine, and now he's a law enforcement officer that's had a fatal shooting. I've got another one who's a Marine with a fatal shooting once he became a deputy at Maricopa County. Are you going to try to differentiate any of this? I don't know if this yes. second one is going to be a... You know, Mark, I know, was in an IED situation, and I'm sure there's some some shooting people also. I'm not 100%. But are you going to try to differentiate? Yeah, absolutely. So I participate in something at the University of Alabama called the Veterans and Media Lab, and it's a joint effort from the College of Communications and Social Work. We have multi-disciplines kind of pitching in and giving research to each other. And one of the things that we focus on is veteran identity and how these individuals choose to identify. And within that, we've done a lot of qualitative studies because when it comes to identity, the best person to speak on it is the person who's identifying or not identifying as that. And so we have looked at a lot of how people perceive veterans to be, and our research may be more specific to the veteran side, but we see echoes of that, and we also see a lot of overlaps with law enforcement and first responders. Mm -hmm. So by seeing people saying, okay, a military veteran is either a hero or they are a victim. Right. Now they can, we can look at how they identify as that and ask these veterans, how, you know, is this true? And then they give us their narrative. And so what I'm looking for in my dissertation, I'm not gathering statistical thought, you know, numbers or any of that. I'm gathering stories, and I'm looking at those stories and kind of looking at the commonalities that they have between them. So what do the military stories have in common with the law enforcement stories? Okay. And where can we kind of find some middle ground so that we can, work, we can work towards interventions and resolution to provide a healthier mindset for these individuals? Interesting. 
And will your husband actually participate and be part of your study? Because that's going to make no. home life really interesting. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that... That's definitely conflict of interest. Right. <laughs> Darn. Maybe I should interview him, in the, and I'll give it to you as an anonymous person. <laughs> this could be really... This could be fun. I mean... Yeah, you, you need to make sure you tell my son when you talk to him or see him later today. Yeah, your mom's moving back and she's going to buy that house down the street. Oh, we, we we like to joke around with him. We're like, oh, there, we heard there's a house going up for sale. You know, oh, we'd no. love to share that with Susan. And the look on his all the colors just immediately drained. And for the audience, my son does love me. He just doesn't want me living right down the street from him. <laughs> But it could be fun. Yeah, well, it'd be entertaining. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I've got I've got several that are popping into my mind now talking about this and and I'm glad to hear you're not going at it statistically because I think everybody has gotten to a place in this world that we know statistics can be manipulated to look any way we want it to look. Well, yeah, there's always bias, right? Yes. Right. There's there's always I mean, you have your own biases going into the study. There's that's just the, that's why it has to get reviewed and that's why it has to get torn apart. And... Well, and I don't think people want to be a part of something that's going to label them, especially problem solvers like military and law enforcement personalities. I don't think they want to be a part of something that's going to label them as a victim because they fell into this percentage or that percentage of something because I think we do enough of that. That's something person I've talked about about with the mental health field. They like to label people. And I say they, even though I'm the master's level counselor, but categories simplify things. Yeah, I don't I don't like to put myself in that category where I I don't ever want to I well, I don't do victims in my office, you know that. Yeah. Um, if you want to be a victim, you go pay somebody hundred and fifty dollars an hour and you be a victim all day long. I get you in here, I want to get you fixed, get you out because I got five more that want to come in and right. take your spot. Because I believe people can be healthy after these fatal encounters and other things that happen in life. It doesn't have to be an officer in a shooting. Um, I've worked with rape victims. I've worked with domestic violence victims. They can stay a victim or they can be a survivor, but they don't have to be in that poor me and this happened to me. And that's why I am the way I am. I just don't believe in that. Right. I don't know about Absolutely. Kirsten's got oh, no, the I, advanced I, I, education. I agree with you. Well, you know, and I think especially in the military world, we have a lot of enabling after the fact, enabling to, oh, it's okay to sit at home and just play video games because you're processing, Yes, you know, and it kind of gets to the point where these individuals stop becoming productive members of society because they're just, they sit at home and they're playing mm -hmm. video games, maybe processing these situations, but they don't move on from it and they don't know how to. Right. And so our university, uh, the School of Social Work has another initiative that I participate in, which is the Office for Military Families and Veterans. And a lot of our research there has looked at how are we using services after our service when we go on to like college, for example. We've done research on like oral health. How many military veterans actually go to the, the, the dentist after they get out of the military? Because they're no longer required to. And it seems like such an innocuous thing, <laughs> but having bad teeth can cause bad mental health. Sure. And so we found ways you know, to measure this kind of stuff where we can look and say, Military veterans are less likely to use certain oral health, you know, methods, dentists, stuff like that, because they're not required to, they're not being forced to, so they think that it's an act of rebellion for them not to do it. Sure. And it's kind of weird how little things like that work up, but we've, you know, my, uh, my advisor, Dr. David Albright, 
has done so much research in this area that there's a whole like portfolio of research just about college health and veterans. Wow. And it's, you know, it's by producing every single one of these reports that we start making moves towards how do veterans take better care of themselves? How do they become productive members of society? How do they move past PTSD? Right. How do they move past getting a diagnosis of a TBI? How do you keep going? So that's kind of ultimately where I would like to be is producing results that impact the mental health of these individuals for the better. Well, and I hope your research is going to lead you also to that. And, and we all get it in here. Tom is, Tom's a veteran, and we all get it that PTSD is the diagnosis that comes out of the DSM. And we get it for disability ratings for uh, our veterans, and I'm all for it. Um, but we have to get with people that it's, a, it's an injury in that you can, and this was one of the things I was teaching in the class yesterday, you can have a psychological traumatic brain injury or a physiological traumatic brain injury. The physiological, obviously, is going to change the makeup of the brain, and there's so many factors that come into play there that that is probably going to be one that's more accurately a disorder, meaning permanent. But again, your limitations are going to be based on which part of the brain is impacted. But from a psychological traumatic brain injury, it is exactly that an injury that can heal. And to me, that post-traumatic stress is an injury like the example I give of a broken bone in the trainings. If you break a leg bone and you go, I'm this badass cop, veteran, whatever, and I'm just going to walk it off, it, it will cripple you and disable you for life. But if you go to a specialist who understands and wants to treat the problem, set it, cast it, pin it, operate, whatever, then it may bother you at certain weather changes, but it doesn't have to run your life. Well, and in the military world, unfortunately, we have the culture that supports permanent disability. And a lot of it comes from the organizations that provide disability benefits for us, such as the VA. The VA, that was supposed to initially be a point A to point B. They give you disability money so that you can kind of get your life together after your service, and then you can move on and say, okay, I'm better now, I'm good, I have a career, I have a job, I don't need the finance here, and that disability rating would go away. Well, then we started seeing more permanent problems, the brain injuries, the cysts, the amputations, the polytrauma. So it makes sense for some individuals to receive disability benefits their entire life. But then you have the rest of the veterans that are like, well, if they're getting money for their entire life, maybe I could too. Yes. And they never really figure out a way to be more self-sufficient where they don't have to rely on the VA money. And the VA money, I mean, it's, it's accessible online. You can see how much money veterans make. But it's, it's a lot of money. Yes. <laughs> so who would willingly turn that away? And that just perpetuates this culture of, I'm injured, I'm diseased, I permanently have these problems, there's no way for me to get better. So let me just play my video games, sit on my couch, earn my VA disability money, and not be that member of society that could change the world. Exactly. And then, and I think it promotes a lot of people who really and truly don't have the problem but they step into the system and get themselves labeled as having the problem. And the more you have those people than the ones that truly have the issues, they are less likely to come forward and try to get the benefits because they're looking at a bunch of people who never did anything 
never really deployed into bad situations or had bad things happen who just want the money. And I think it, it really hurts the whole system. Well, and this, to well, me, highlight. sorry, go ahead, Kirsten. Well, I was going to say, and to be fair, the military, in all honesty, because you can find all this stuff for free online, uh, the military is not competitive anymore with the real world in a lot of fields. So right. I was a respiratory therapist when I was active duty. And I spent a lot of time in ICUs, and that is a very skilled position. The military spent a ton of money training you know, individuals like me, and they deployed them all over the world. But I could make three times or four times more by getting out of the military and taking a contract in Dubai for five years. And so the military is not doing what they need to do to keep people invested and doing these 20-year careers. And what's ultimately happening is you have people that are joining the military for the wrong reasons. Yes. That, and that, those reasons could include education benefits, which are fabulous, or healthcare benefits, which can be great. But ultimately, if you don't have your heart in the right place, is it the right place for you? Right. This is exactly where I was going with it is because I, I, I know people on both sides of the spectrum, like we were just talking about when it comes to disability collection, right? People that actively take dis or take advantage of the system. Um, let's say there's two examples of that, right? They both take advantage of the system. But one is of the victim mindset where he actually says like, yeah, no, I'm injured. I can't do this. I can't do that. The other one is like, hey, it's a perk, I'll take it. But he's also out there changing the world, right? He's a hardworking dude, but he's like, hey, I'm part of the system, why not take a piece? So there's, and this to me highlights the common denominator, which is how we think about things, our, our actions and our thoughts, right? Because if we, if we get trained properly, you can have the system or not have the system. We could talk political views on the VA. I, I don't like free money. I think free money kind of, it, it, it disables people. Um, but, it, but either way, you, you can have it or not have it, but if you get people to think in the right way and to act in the right way because of those thoughts, you can fix a lot of these problems. But it starts with these conversations, these studies, and educating people, right? Just like you're talking about. If we could have classes to educate people on, is this the right choice? Is your heart in the right place? Do you make the proper types of decisions to be put in this situation? Um, because we're just gonna set you up to be a, a person who s sucks all the life out of the system because you can. And that's, that's not proper. It doesn't mean that we need to destroy the system, or right. maybe it does, but it, it certainly means that we need to educate people on the whole spectrum, right? We talk about that with law enforcement. I'm sure it's exactly the same with military, really anybody, with human beings. The more we know, the more insight we have, the better choices we make, the better actions we take. So it, it, that needs to happen. And, and I think Kirsten's dissertation is going to bring a light to a lot of things that we preached it under the shield from the law enforcement perspective, but when you bring the military into it, I think it's actually gonna give a lot more credibility to the stuff we have talked about and the things we have said, and, and I'm hoping it's gonna really bring some major changes to the mental health world in dealing with these individuals. Because I think Kirsten and I are like minds in that. Again, she's more educated than I am. And let me tell you something, this is the smartest lady that I've ever met, and that is includes all you stupid men. But um, anyway, <laughs> she, uh, <laughs> and again, you're born that way. It, it's not a criticism. She had to fact. hit back. I, I've been hitting her all morning. She it's had to fact. hit back. It's just a fact, and it's okay. Y'all are very simple creatures. It's, it's not, an, it doesn't mean you're not intellectual, but you're simple. <laughs> Some of you are intellectual. Some of you are not. Ace. Let me just take this moment to apologize to 80% of our audience for the insult you've just received. 
calls this bits of fat. But I am telling you, I can call a person and go, hey, I got a veteran and he's got this going on and he wants to do this and he needs to get some education and no lie, she pulls it out of her head, puts it in a text, sends it to me in like 30 seconds. She is a damn walking encyclopedia. <laughs> oh, she's the savant you were telling me about. She's the one. <laughs> okay. I have never in my life seen anybody remember names and dates and information and stuff. She's been involved in things from filmmaking to uh, you name it. Well, we're go, we're trading my emails. Last movie, yeah. My last movie was actually shot in Phoenix. See, oh I'm telling you. We're trading emails before this is over. <laughs> I, go, I go, hey, Kirsten, I need somebody to do this. I got it. I got them. Let me text them right now. Jeez. And if they don't know, if they can't do it, they know somebody who can do it. And why don't you do this? And I'm going, huh? Just do it, Kirsten. I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't know the words, the language <laughs> to even tell the person what I need them to do. Yeah. Well, she's, and I, well, she's, I think one of the important things with that is that I'm third generation Navy. And so my father went through and he retired out as a chief warrant officer and he had the same mentality that I did. When he got out, he didn't want to get out. <laughs> there, there was no way. He wanted to be a lifer in the military, and he served over 30 years. But one of the big things that he did when he got out is he turned around and gave it all back. He, he's been mentoring. He's what we call in the military a death plate leader. He actually was mentoring younger individuals his entire career, family members, friends, whoever needed career counseling advice, anything like that. So I grew up watching my dad do this. And then when he got out of the military, he's a forever student. He's been using all of his education benefits, and he's still in school almost 15 years after he's gotten out of the military. But he spends a lot of time communicating and networking with other veterans, other individuals, whoever he can meet and talk to. He talks to everybody. And I got to grow up watching that. So when it came time for me to get out of the military – I turned around and did the same thing because my experience getting out of the military was really hard. Transition, and I'm sure a lot of law enforcement can relate, of when you leave that field that you have been so, so pivotal in, and you leave it and you're like, what's my purpose now? Yeah. What am I going to do? How, how am I going to provide for my family? Yeah. A lot, you know, so when I got out of the military, it was a little rough. And, you know, I had school already laid out and planned out, but sitting at home, I'm like, man, I used to wake up every day at 5 a.m. and go to bed at 10 p.m. at night. How am I sleeping all day now and I'm still tired? (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I know a lot of people go through that. And so it's all about finding your purpose and whatever I can do to give back to the veteran community to help people find their purpose because that's what works for me. I will gladly turn around and give it back. So now I'm serving on the leadership council for the Central Alabama Veterans Collaborative. I spend a lot of time volunteering. Um, I put my research in simplistic terms so that it's not, academia is ridiculous. Why are we writing in like five syllable words when we could just say it in two syllables? So I wanna make sure my, my research is readable by anybody who picks it up. Yes. And it's interesting because, again, one of the things we preach at Under the Shield is people in military and first responders, one of their three characteristics is that they're a caregiver. And when you leave the field, and I'm, I, I get really tickled, you're one of them right here, Ace. You're, you're my case study, <laughs> you and several others. But it's just like when you had the situation at Salt River mm-hmm. where they were stupid and they fired you on this <laughs> podcast. Not that I'm not going to plug that in every opportunity I get. 
but you thought, you know what, maybe I'm just not supposed to be in law enforcement. Oh, I, woodworking, this is fun. I'm going to do this. And I'm back in the restaurant industry where I grew up. And this is, yeah, and it took you how long to go, huh, I think I miss it. Four months, three weeks, and two days. There you go. <laughs> and it's like the guys that come in here who are so frustrated by the environment right now. And they're like, I just want to go to work at Home Depot. Nobody gets mad at you if you don't have a sink because you order it and have it shipped to their house. And Mark, yesterday, it, it, Mark, I knew it wasn't going to last. Mark is working for the state. And what is it he's investigating? Title um, fraud for title ADOT. Fraud. Yes. And he works from home. Mm. And so on its face, it looked great. So he was home during the pandemic working, and he's doing title fraud. And all of a sudden, then it's kind of like, I kind of miss all the interaction and being out with people and and getting into things and yep. stuff like that. And that's what concerns me about all these guys retiring at 20 rather than doing the extra five, because out here, at least at Phoenix, it's it's a half a million dollars they're walking away from. Mm -hmm. Yeah because they're so frustrated and stressed over the environment, but give them six months at Home Depot and they're gonna be losing their mind. Yeah, my advice there is if you're anything like me, and it sounds like some of you are, take your paid time off, take two months, yes. go get your job at Home Depot or woodwork in your backyard, whatever you wanna do, get it out of your system, because I'm telling you, <laughs> by the time those two months are over, you can't get back to work fast enough. And see, look at Kirsten. Yeah. She gets out of the military, and what is she doing? She's getting her PhD in social work. Not biochemical engineering, not right. you know something else. And the woman is smart enough to get her PhD in whatever the hell she wants to get it in. <laughs> but she's doing it in social work because, again, she wants to give back. And that's why we feel like at Under the Shield, the stress coaching is so important because this is a place where law enforcement, military first responders can come after they retire and give back to the communities that they know. Right. Not the public, but the communities that's safe. And Tom here is down to how many days before retirement? Um, I'm pretty much at 25 more working days. Is that including the days that I'm asking you to take off? That is. Okay. And um, <laughs> yeah, I, sh uh, I shortened his time because I needed him to be in here some. I see. And so, <laughs> and so I'm not even letting him retire and get bored and come on. No, we're overlapping. I'm going, yeah. I got the rope around your neck and I'm pulling you. <laughs> Direct transition. But, but that's a real good thing for me. Like, I remember when I got out of the military after 10 years, I wanted to be an officer, you know, civilian uh, officer. And I spent two years testing with everybody and dying on the list. And it was a tough process. When I finally got hired down here in the Valley, you know, I was never so happy. Yeah. Well, now I've been doing this for 27 years and I've got like 25 more working days. And up to about two months ago, I was really starting to think, boy, what am I gonna do now? Yeah. And then of course I was fortunate enough to meet Susan and she put the rope around my neck. And so I think I have something to do Expert for a while. Expert news tire. <laughs> it's actually a shock collar. <laughs> I have just, I have made it look a lot nicer. Than what That's why I'm so sore. I really should have put one on you. That would have been a, you know what would have been a fun podcast? And maybe we'll have to have you back as a guest. And we'll do this. And I'll hold a taser. Okay. And periodically 
put that baby. Oh, that, yeah. That sound will give the pucker factor. Yeah. Like nothing else I've yeah. ever seen. Yeah, that it will. That it will. I did not like that. Yeah. Not as bad as pepper spray, but I did not like being tased. Yeah. yeah. The only good thing is it's over quickly. That's yes. it. That's exactly yes. it. Pepper it's spray not the spray. delayed response of every time you get a sprinkle of water in your face or yeah. whatever. But, um, but Kirsten, we cannot thank you enough for being on here, and I hope you'll come back because I see you as being kind of a, a regular on here where we're getting updates on this and talking about the things because I really, uh, I really want to be able to get the right people to you for this dissertation because I think this is going to be crucial in so many areas, again, not just giving a voice to these people that have been in these situations that really and truly we should be proud and honored. I said, you know, I can remember Dave Grossman with one of my guys who was in his uh, first shooting. He's now a chief of police in, in Alabama, but he wound up having to shoot and kill a firefighter in hmm. his own small town, someone he knew. And um, I worked with this officer for a while. He's now part of my peer support team. We need to have him on the podcast also. And uh, he was struggling with some things, and so I took him to hear Dave Grossman for the first time. And doggone Dave, I swear that man can just open his mouth and in a few words say things to heal somebody. But he literally, Steve walked up to him, and I already talked to Dave about him. And Dave walks up to him, shakes his hand, and says, congratulations on a job well done. And literally, you could see everything Steve had been going through just kind of drained from his body. And I was like, damn, Dave. You know, why didn't you tell me to say that to him? Yeah, he's got a gift, man. <laughs> yeah, right. He, he really does. does. Yeah. And, but I learned from him, when I go on shooting scenes in Maricopa County Sheriff's Department, calls me out on all their scenes. I'm crawling under crime scene, Dave, to get to them. But that's the first thing I say to them is congratulations on a job well done. Not congratulations on killing someone. That's not what right. this is about. You're going home. The good guys are all going home. You responded to something someone else started. You didn't start this. You wouldn't. You didn't just randomly go. I think I'll go knock on this door, and um, and see if I can get something stirred up. That would be me. That's why I'm not a police officer. That's right. Because I'm out looking for trouble. Uh-huh. And as cops in Alabama that know me would say, she doesn't carry a gun for protection. She's afraid she'll miss a chance to shoot somebody. Now that may or may not be true, depending on the day. But the point is, they have a job, they've been trained to do the job, they did the job and they did it well. That's all. And I think that needs to be said more and we need them to have that safe voice and that's what Kirsten is giving in this. And also ways that they can, can help themselves and help their families. That's what it's about. Yeah, this is, this is critical intelligence that once we once you discover the things you're going to discover, Kirsten, it, Kirsten, Kirsten, I'm not, I'm never going to get this right, uh, Kristen, um, <laughs> is we can we can take that stuff on paper that you put together, all these stories and all the intelligence gathered from dividing out what's the same, what's different, yep. and we can build lifelong wisdom from that, and we can make better choices for ourselves, for our departments, and she'll normalize and, it, right. yeah, because when one realizes many have experienced the same things and are going through the same things, yeah. we now begin to normalize it. It's not just about me and I'm weak or I couldn't handle this or whatever it is, whatever right. the thoughts are. It, these are normal reactions and that's yeah, yeah. why Mark has had such an impact. And it'll be easier to get people some help. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, then it's, it's hopefully awesome. educate the mental health side. Right. So, 
So we will be scheduling you down the road, like it or not. And again, I have complete power and control over you to do whatever I want. That dissertation might have to be written five or six times. I don't know. We'll find out. She just keeps sending in with spelling errors. I don't know. <laughs> Me and my, I get to use a red pen. Oh, this is going to be fun. Oh, what have they done? Wow. Well, that's one way to keep me in Alabama, Susan. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, well, my son will be behind that then because he's going to go. Yeah, he's he is scared to death y'all are going to move, and and I don't know what he and Haley would do if y'all did. So. He says he has some friends that can put out some warrants. <laughs> oh, I'm sure that can be arranged. We have our ways. Oh, but, Kirsten, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day. And tell your husband hello, and I'm looking forward to seeing y'all again in September. Hug my child for me, since I don't get to. And um, tell him Thank I'm, you. And, I'm and looking Susan, into that house. Congratulations to you on a job well done with the podcast. Well, thank you. We're excited about it. And even though Ace is jumping ship on us, whatever, he'll be back. Audience, don't think he's gone for good. Right. Like I said, he's like a rash. He'll pop up periodically. And True. Um, we'll have to have him in here for entertainment. Well, we have to come up with a new alias once you go to work for a new agency so that they I won't know. know Ooh, maybe I'll reveal my real name. I don't know. You'll always be ace to me now that we've done this. People literally <laughs> think that's my name now. I know. Well, it is. You might as well know. And so TomTheBomb.com over here, at least yours is three letters. It, see, we kept yours simple. Yeah. I appreciate that. And yeah, because Tom has experience, military, law enforcement, he can handle a name like TomTheBomb.com. Oh, I see. As you mature, we'll add letters to yours. <laughs> gotcha. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll get uh, I'll get all those. You know, uh, what are the acronyms before my name? Like okay, you. Ace. To what can we add a, a letter to it and make it a longer name? I just want to make it to Mister Ace. That's all I want. <laughs> That's what we'll do. I'll have Mister in front there of you. There you go. Name. When I get my ten years, I'll be dead. Right, and gone. got a few years yet. Yeah, I'll be dead and gone. Uh, if only God <laughs> had mercy. So Ace, it's been fun. It always has been fun. Yeah. Like I said, I'm not telling you goodbye because you ain't going anywhere. You're yeah. gonna be back. Well, you'll see me, out. but the audience might not. But I'm grateful for the show. I'm grateful for what we talked about, and the audience has been awesome. I'm glad we have one because it's nice to talk to somebody. I don't yeah. necessarily like talking all to all three of you. No, yeah, <laughs> I like to pretend when I'm looking at this microphone that I see all your beautiful faces. Um, but it's been fun. I had a lot of good things. I learned an immense amount about myself and other people, which has been the biggest thing. And I hope everybody else takes something else, especially stuff like from what Kirsten's doing with this study. Like this is what it's all about. It's so it cool is. to see it culminate on a scientific end yes. and have you tear that apart. I am so excited to read that. I am not right. kidding. I will read your published paper. I am a total <laughs> dork. Um, I'm in on that. So I, I'm grateful. And thank you for replacing me, Tom. She My needed pleasure. somebody good. I'm glad she got you. So it, yeah. this has uh, been a good journey. I'm glad we're, I did it. We're excited to have Tom on board now. And yeah. Oh, and you got all kinds of people on board now. So yes. it sounds like you're going to be making moves. It's actually, you're going to have like a real like editor. It's not just me. So we're, guys, we're it's not... actually going to sound good. <laughs> How excited are you? And again, this is thanks to Kirsten because she hooked us up. I know, the whiz. She knows people in the film industry. Oh, that's going to stick. Yeah, we're coming out of the back shed into a real studio, so to speak. Right? Oh, man. Real acoustics. I yes. love it. And we've got some great guests lined up and working on them. And we are, fingers crossed, hoping to have Sheriff Mark Lamb on I next know. Tuesday. And Mark I might is, be back for that one. Mark, if you're <laughs> listening, you might want to answer my email about this. Um, but Tom's going to apply a little pressure from a different angle, so we're hoping to have the... Uh, the good sheriff on, who is I'm a huge fan of, and you can call him a friend, and 
he's uh, stepping up to the plate, not Good being man. politically correct. And yeah, it's kind of his token, though. Taking it on, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. I like it. I like it. So welcome, Tom. Thank you. And Thank we're going to have some fun here. And we will. You know, when he's not here, he's even more fun to talk about. So we can talk about Ace for <laughs> yeah. episodes to come. Yeah. Of things Plenty he would of content, have done and guys. said. And Kirsten, again, thank you very much for your time. And we appreciate all of you out there listening. Keep listening. Spread the word. Thank you for your sacrifices. Please thank your families for their sacrifices. Because that's something from a firsthand knowledge we, we, don't, we don't do that enough. And families need to be acknowledged for being the support behind uh, all these brave men and women out here doing these jobs. And again, at Under the Shield, you can reach us 24-7-365 at 855-889-2348. We will never ask your name. We will never ask who you work for. We don't even have your phone number when you call that number. Um, so if we get disconnected, you got to call us back. But you can call and talk to us about anything. None of us are mandated reporters. You will not get voicemail. You will always get someone. More than likely me. Um, but Tom will be coming on as a stress coach also. I assume you're still wanting to do that. Yes, ma'am. Ace. So there's a way you people can come and talk to him. Call the crisis line to ask for Ace. Well, God bless you <laughs> if you ask for me. <laughs> well, especially at this stage. But anyway, but thanks for listening. We love you guys, and God bless and stay safe. Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. We'll see you around.